episode 66 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on January 15th, 2018. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. This week, after almost a fortnight into the new year, we finally get some news for Star Wars The Old Republic. Game Update 5.7 is coming, and I'll tell you what's in it. While new content is sparse, I dive into old content as I search for the Holy Grail for Altaholics, playing all eight class stories as if it were one big story. Finally this week, I've been spending a lot of time in the new Yavin 4 Warzone. I'll give you some tips on how you can single-handedly turn the tide and win the day. And with that, it's time to make the jump to light speed and execute episode 66. Welcome to episode 66 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. As always, let's start with some announcements for The Old Republic. Let me apologize for not having an episode last week. I was sick and needed to rest. While the idea of not having to mix in any bass when editing the show was tempting, I was in no condition to get behind the microphone. And you can probably tell that my voice isn't 100% back to normal. Well, I'm here and there is some news to share. As far as announcements go, not much is happening. Life Day is over, the 6th anniversary is over, Bounty Contract Week just ended. The only event coming up is the Rakul Plague on Outbreak on Tatooine, and that will start on January 23rd and run through the 30th. And that's it. So with that, let's slice the holonet and get to the news this week. So we're a solid two weeks into 2018, and it has been very quiet on the SWOTOR news front. I can contrast that to where we were this time last year. If you recall, we came out of the holiday break, and on January 5th, we were treated to this. So let's talk about what today's stream is going to be. First off, I think it's first important to mention, why are we doing today's stream? Yeah, great question. So, um, you know... We had a great run of doing like 12 weeks of a stream every week leading up to Knights of the Eternal Throne. Uh, we really enjoyed interacting with you guys, getting feedback, kind of announcing and talking about the things going on in the game. And it's been three weeks since our last stream. And in that time, it's a brand new year. So we thought that we'd just come back, say hello, um, talk a little bit about what's been going on in the game, uh, especially some things around like community contribution, yeah, some, some of really the hot cool topics stuff. and stuff like that. Yep. Um, so this stream isn't full of new information. Yep. Uh, we have a recap of some things coming out in January. We've talked about them before, but in case you don't know what they are, we're going to just reiterate uh, the things that are coming down. Mm-hmm. And if you guys have follow-up questions or things we haven't answered before, you can certainly ask them and we'll do our best to answer. But we really just want to check in with you guys, say hello, uh, recognize some great community contributions, and then talk a little bit about January. And, and then and fireworks. And then fireworks. That's right, Bioware held an impromptu live stream where they just wanted to say hello and wish everyone a happy new year. I remember people complained that this live stream didn't provide any new information about the game. And if you remember, we started last year knowing that Game Update 5.1 would release on January 23rd, and there was another live stream scheduled for January 26th. 
So here we are today, and the idea of having old information to talk about looks pretty good right about now. At least that was the case until a few days ago when Eric Musco hit the forums to tell us about Game Update 5.7, and here's what he said. Since we are formally in 2018 now, Happy New Year to all of you. We know there have been some questions about what is coming next, so we wanted to give you some details. The big what's what is coming type question will be addressed as always in Keith's roadmap, which is being worked on now. I would expect a few more weeks before you can read that. However, before the roadmap is in your hands, let's talk about the next game update. Game update 5.7, Legacy of the Creators. It's going to have a new operation boss, Skyva, available in story and veteran mode. And returning companions, and these missions will be class-specific, Risha and Corso, Andronicus, there will be a new cartel market pack and various bug fixes and updates. Although we will save specifics for the roadmap, beyond 5.7 you can expect additional companions returning, a new flashpoint, and more. Thanks everyone, we are looking forward to an exciting 2018. Game Update 5.7 will be released on January 23rd, exactly one year after the release of 5.1. While it's nice to get some new content, this update is rather sparse. The big feature here is the return of Risha and Corso Riggs and Andronicus Ravel, but as you heard me say, these returns are class specific, meaning you can only get Risha and Corso on a smuggler, and Andronicus is only coming back for Sith Inquisitors. Eric did confirm that these will be Alliance alerts and that the stories will be in the traditional cinematic style and not the KOTOR-esque style introduced in Knights of the Fallen Empire. That means our characters will be voiced and animated, and that part at least is good news. As for them being class-specific, I'm not sure what to make of that. The game is already oversaturated with companions, so you aren't disadvantaged by not having access to these companions if you're not a smuggler or an inquisitor. And it does open up the door for more meaningful dialogue and a more purposeful story. One of the things players often ask for is more class-specific stories, and this is one way to deliver on that. By limiting these companions' return to their original classes, the story can center on what happened to them and why did they wait so long to reappear. As we've seen in the past, if companions are open to everyone, Bioware doesn't seem to have the budget to accommodate all of the conversations we'd like to have. This might help make the story feel more personal to your characters. If you're wondering if future returning companions will be class-specific, this is what Eric said about that. Many of them will be, but not all. Depends on the story we are telling with the particular companion returning. I will make sure we note that for future returns so you know which is which. Keep in mind that every class except the Republic Trooper is missing at least one companion. One player asked if it would be possible to get these companions for other classes via the companion terminal on Odessin, and here's what Eric said about that. Right now it is not planned that you can access these companions via the terminal on other classes. However, I passed the suggestion on to the team as something we could possibly implement down the line. I actually think making them available via the terminal is a good idea, but it won't be the end of the world for me if that never happens. In addition to returning companions, we're also getting Skyva, the fourth boss in the Gods from the Machine operation. I don't know much, have much to say other than 
we're that much closer to having complete operation now. And that is it for 5.7. It goes live on January 23rd. And on January 24th, we'll all be asking you about what's coming in 5.8, unless you don't play a smuggler or inquisitor, in which case you've already moved on to 5.8. As for what 5.8 might bring, at this point, I would expect the final ops boss, as well as the final chapter in the story, and I would expect to see it mid to late February. And other than that, we'll have to wait and see what the roadmap brings. I am more anxious about this upcoming roadmap than I've been about the previous two. It's the winter of SWOTOR right now, and there isn't enough content on this ice cube to fill a space cruiser, and that makes me nervous. While we patiently wait for Bioware to deliver us new content for Star Wars The Old Republic, I have been spending my spending time creating my own. Last episode, I talked about wanting to create a brand new legacy of eight characters, one of each class, and play them like they're part of one giant story. I wasn't sure if and how I was going to do this, but I've now started and decided that I would present my findings each week here on the podcast. Now, my goal isn't to create a canonical version of the story. It's to create a chronological version of the story. I've gathered all sorts of information and potential tie-ins and order of play. And what I'm doing is following the guides and taking lots of notes to see what pans out and what doesn't. It's a little experimental right now. But when all is said and done, I hope to have a definitive chronological playthrough for each of the class stories, companion stories, and planetary story arcs. This is basically the holy grail for altaholics. With that in mind, I have created my Super 8 and have begun the journey. What I want to do today is share my thoughts on the four starter planets, Tython, Ord Mantell, Hutta, and Korriban. I figured that with the starter planets, there wasn't any restriction on where to start, and for the most part, this is true. So for no particular reason, I chose to start with Tython, then Ord Mantell, then Hutta, and finally Korriban. I just like the idea of opening the story with the Jedi, continuing with the Republic, and then shifting to the Empire, ultimately closing things out with the Sith. Overall, there is very little collision on each of the planets. Take Korriban, for instance. I found that it hardly matters who arrives first, and you can comfortably play the Sith Warrior or the Sith Inquisitor all the way through before starting the other. My preference was to start with the Sith Warrior, and do the intro and get uh, him up to the academy and then start the Sith Inquisitor and get her up to the academy. While there is no direct story tie-ins, there were a couple of things uh, worth paying attention to in the Sith Warrior story. The first was this reference to Lord Renning. Is this everything? Everything Lord Renning was able to obtain, yes. Then run back to your master in the beast pens before I cut you in half. As a result, I had the Sith Warrior do Lord Renning's quest and not the Sith Inquisitor. And then there was this moment towards the end of the Warrior story where you have a run-in with an alkalite named uh, Clemril. He failed the trial to collect shards from the tomb of Tulak Horde and is now trying to steal yours. One of your options leads to this conversation. I'll never become Sith. Unless I return with the shards, Beres will have me killed. Well, why don't you flee? 
Get off the planet. Give up trying to be Sith. You can't get off Korriban without official clearance. I might be able to hide in the wilds, but I wouldn't survive long. Then be a man and try to get the shards again. I... I can't go back in there. I just can't. I've heard of a mad hermit in one of the tombs who welcomes failures from the trials. Maybe I'll seek him out. This is a vague reference to Spindrel. Spindrel is an old Sith living in the tomb of a Jun Juntapal. He takes in fallen acolytes, gives them a chance to redeem themselves, and he is part of the Sith Inquisitor's first trial on Korriban. Other than that, the two stories move independently. In terms of side missions, I had the Sith Warrior clear out the Chloroslug eggs, and I mentioned the mission for Lord Renning. I had the Inquisitor deal with the Tomb Raiders, as well as the captured Jedi. I did not feel obligated to do all of the side missions here. I didn't see that as essential, although I did have exploration missions turned on for all of my characters. Ward Mantell was another planet where the stories moved independently. The only thing I felt was mandatory was to start with the trooper because in the cinematic after the walker has been hit, you see the smuggler ship come in for a landing as the trooper prepares to exit the walker. Clearly, the trooper is on planet first. I did the intro missions and got the trooper to Fort Garnick and then switched to the smuggler. Shortly after the smuggler lands, you have this conversation. Here's your payment for making this run, Captain. As soon as I have those blasters, you'll be free to fly. Skalvik, we've got a big problem. Separatists took over the local air defense cannon. Oh, slow down. Slow down, Corso. What are you talking about? They deployed some kind of remote control stations, hijacked the cannon's targeting computer. Damn Separatists just destroyed an incoming Republic transport. The Republic transport that Corso mentions is clearly the one the trooper was on. Other than that, you can comfortably play the trooper and smuggler stories all the way through without needing to switch back and forth. Regarding the side missions here, pretty much anything that involved the military I gave to the trooper. Missions that involved helping people or retrieving things I gave to the smuggler. Moving on to Hutta, this is one where I thought there would be a lot of overlap given that the bounty hunter and imperial agent are both working for Nemro the Hut. This is surprisingly not the case. I would recommend starting with the bounty hunter first and making sure the bounty hunter finishes the story before the Imperial Agent does. This is mainly due to the fact that the Imperial Agent story centers around taking down Fothra, Nemro's main rival. At the end of the Bounty Hunter story, it's safe to say that Fothra is still a threat. In fact, you could easily make the case of playing the Bounty Hunter straight through before even starting the Agent. I chose to get both started before sticking with the Bounty Hunter. As dirty and polluted as Hutta is, the stories are surprisingly clean, Nemro is the only character that overlaps the two stories, and the agent only has one face-to-face -face meeting with him. The rest of the time, Nemro appears via holo. As far as the side missions, anything related to helping Nemro or hurting Fothra, I gave to the Imperial agent. Anything where there was a bounty or a person of interest, I gave to the bounty hunter. So this brings me to Tython, the final starting planet. Even though I started it first, I wanted to talk about it last because it's the planet that has the most issues. I definitely recommend starting with the Jedi Knight, as I'm pretty sure the Flesh Raider attack starts just after he arrives. It's still happening when the Jedi Consular gets there, but it appears to be in progress versus just starting. I started with the Knight and got him to the point where he is sent to the Jedi Temple, meets with Satil Shan, the Jedi Council, 
and then Orgus Din. At that point, I switched to the consular and got her to the temple, and I continued with her for a bit longer. As far as switching back and forth goes, I'm not really sure on this one. The main issue with Tython is the Jedi Council meetings. The Jedi Knight meets with the Council twice, once in the beginning of the story and again at the end. The Jedi Consular only meets with the Council at the end of the story. However, she has run-ins with two Council members, Seal Bakarn and Jarek Kaden, about midway through the story. So let's talk about why this matters. When the Jedi Knight first arrives at the Jedi Temple, he meets privately with Satil Shan and then attends a meeting of the Jedi Council, and here is part of that meeting. Everyone, this is the Padawan who saved our people in the training grounds. This is Master Kiwix and her extremely vocal Padawan, Kira. The other masters are transmitting from distant worlds. It's unfortunate our numbers are scattered. The masters that Orgus Din refers to as attending off-world, there at the meeting via Holo, are Tolbraga and Jarek Kaden. This is important because in the consular story, Jarek Kaden is not off-world, but is on Tython. As I mentioned earlier about midway through the story, having retrieved the first blade from the ruins of Kaleth, the Consular returns to the Jedi Temple and has this conversation with Seal Bakarn and Jarek Kaden. Hello again, Padawan. I'm glad to see you well. Master Seal Bakarn, I was there to greet you when you first arrived. Being greeted by a member of the Council is hard to forget, Master Seal. Interesting. Protocol was never a big focus of Yuan's curriculum. This is Master Jarek Kaden, another of the Jedi Council. At the end of both stories, the Knight and Consular attend meetings of the Jedi Council. In the Knight's meeting are Satil Shan, Orgistin, Bella Kiwix, who is now off-world on Coruscant, and once again Tol Braga and Jarek Kaden, who attend via Holo. When the Consular meets with the, with the Council, the attendees are Satil Shan, Seal Bakarn and Jarek Kaden, who is there in person. Absent are Orgistin, Bella Kiwix, and Tolbraga. As you can see, it's hard to pin down the timing of it all, and these meetings are difficult to reconcile. One option is both the Knight and Consular arrive on Tython at roughly the same time. The story flow would be this. The Jedi Knight arrives first, takes care of the Flesh Raiders, is sent to the temple by Orgistin, meets with Satil, and then meets with the Council, and then meets with Orcus Din. At this point, probably a step or two earlier, the Consular would arrive on Tython, retrieve the Hollow Projectors, go to the Temple, and then go to Kalakori vi- Village, return to the Temple, and then stop. You would then finish the Jedi Knight story, and then pick up the Consular story, having the Consular go to the Ruins of Kaleth, and return to the Temple, and meet with Seal Bakarn and Jarek Kaden. And Caden at this point has no longer off-world, but has returned to Tython and is able to meet with the Consular in person. You would then, of course, finish the Consular's story. Tython was tricky, but maybe that's the way it's supposed to go. You could also argue that Jarek Caden is just on and off-world a lot, and it just so happened that his on-world visits never coincided with the Jedi Knight's Council meetings. As far as side missions on Tython, anything that had to do with Flesh Raiders, I gave to the Jedi Knight, as that story was all about the Flesh Raiders. Everything else I gave to the Consular. I had both the Knight and Consular complete Liam Dentry's droid challenges. I didn't see anything wrong with that. I also had both the Knight and Consular 
do the trial to meet Kolovish. It's interesting to note that at the end of the knight's story, Satila asked the knight about the Twi'lek villagers. There is a light side option which plays out like this. You know the Twi'leks, Padawan. How do you recommend we proceed? We created instability by refusing to help them. That has to change. What happened to Master Orgus is almost unforgivable. But if we do forgive and work with them, it can only improve both our communities. And then there is a dark side option that plays out like this. You know the Twi'leks, Padawan. How do you recommend we proceed? They're a danger we can't afford, and they don't belong here. I say we round them up and ship them anyplace else. Forced resettlement of the Twi'leks runs against everything we stand for. Containment is a better option. At least we know they can't be trusted. We won't put them in a position to betray us again. At this point in the story, either are acceptable, but if you're going for the right answer, the dark side option is more appropriate. As we'll find out later, Kolovish is a key member of the Star Cabal, and she brought the Twi'leks to Tython to spy on the Jedi and ultimately ruin the Order. She is bad news, and this is something that we'll learn much later in the Imperial Agent story. So that's all I have on my search for the Holy Grail this week. Next week I'll look to get through Droman Kass and Coruscant. This is where things really get interesting as the classes start to come together. A couple logistical notes here. Uh, for each of the eight characters, I probably needed about one million credits in starter money That for each character, so eight million total. And that was just to get them some of the legacy perks for increased uh, influence, uh, XP, and so forth. I've also been swapping back and forth my Victorious Pioneer's armor set, which gives you the XP buff. I don't know if I'm going to continue to do that because, you know, getting them to level 70 isn't really the goal here. And it's kind of just a pain in the butt to have to swap that thing in and out and remember to put it in the legacy cargo hold and, and, and give it to different characters. And they're not all quite the same level. So if I start sticking actual mods and enhancements in there, it could start to get messy. So I just may abandon it and just give them all legacy gear and just buy those green mods off the fleet uh, just to make sure that they can actually kill stuff as I go through it all. But that's it on the big project this week, uh, Droman Koss and hopefully Coruscant next week. My last topic for the day is the Yavin 4 War Zone. Since it was released, they designed it so it would pop up more frequently, and that definitely seems to be the case. I actually don't mind that as I've been enjoying the new Warzone and playing it a lot lately. One of the things they did to make it a little different from the Alderaan Civil War is they added a buff item that allows you to cap a turret in 4 seconds. Normally it takes 8 seconds, this buff cuts it in half. While it will put a giant bullseye on your back if you have it, I find this item to be invaluable and not enough people seem to bother with it. I have won multiple matches by getting the buff and capturing turrets that we've then been able to hold for the rest of the match. The key with the buff is to be smart about it. I've seen people grab the buff and then make a beeline for the turret and then get crushed. The buff lasts, lasts a minute and 15 seconds so you have time to be patient and pick your opportunity. If there's a giant melee going on, you might be able to find a four-second window when no one is paying attention. One great use is to find the enemy turret that isn't well guarded and grab a friend, 
All it takes is a stun to buy you the four seconds you need to capture the turret. You don't even have to kill the opposing players. You just need to distract them for four seconds. If your team loses a turret, it's a great time to get the buff and take it back. I've done that plenty of times. Oh, and if you see someone on the opposing team with a buff, just call out an ops chat. I want every gun we have to fire on that man. Final note for today, I don't I do want to get into some spoilery thoughts on the last Jedi. One of you asked me a question about Ray and I would like to answer that, so maybe next week. In the meantime, here's a little Easter egg from the film you may have missed. Luke's home on Octu. Uh, there's a fragment there of a red crystal inside of a metal holder. Well, according to the, the Last Jedi Visual Dictionary, it's part of a Sith lightsaber crystal inside a Jedi Crusader pendant. Now, the only known Jedi Crusaders in the Star Wars universe are the Revenkists, and this is a faction of Jedi organized by Revan to take on the invading Mandalorian Neo-Crusaders. Does this make Revan canon? I don't know if I'd go so far as to say yes, but someone out there was thinking of the Old Republic when they created the stuff in Luke's home. And that's going to wrap it up for today. Let me cut in the sublight engines and cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 66 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show site, which is SotorPodcast.com. And there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at SotorPodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at SotorPodcast or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for episode 67 on January 23rd. And remember the Sith Code, cake is alive.